Hi guys and welcome or welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host Indira and today I'm here with a well-known registered nutritionist who specializes in sports nutrition, Anita Bean. She's the author of 30 books. She's worked with the British Olympic Association, the London Marathon, a whole range of athletes and clubs and a writer for many sports magazines. And before we begin, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you've been enjoying the show and you're happy to help it out, then please leave a review or rating. Thanks so much. Okay, so let's get into it. Hi, Anita, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks very much for having me on your podcast. Absolute pleasure. I mean, personally, I first heard about you through your Vegetarian Athletes Cookbook, which is, I have to say, one of my all-time favourite recipe books. So yeah, it's really exciting to have you on today. And so can you introduce yourself and, you know, what it is that you do and maybe a bit about your background? Yep, sure. I am nutritionist, as you've already mentioned. I specialise in sports nutrition. I am an author of close to 30 books actually over the years. I mean, I've been running my own nutrition consultancy for approximately 30 years. Um, So, you know, the books sort of keep on coming out. Probably the best known one is actually The Complete Guide to Sports Nutrition. But I'm also a health writer. I um, work with with many teams, many athletes, runners, swimmers, triathletes over the years. And um, yeah, as I said, I've been running my own consultancy for 30 years and I have been fortunate to work with some some great organisations, including London Marathon Ride London and uh, Swim England, British Olympic Association. And also I am the uh, former British bodybuilding champion, which you might not imagine looking at me. I'm quite small, so obviously I was a natural bodybuilder. But since then, I've carried on um, training partly with weights, but also moving a little bit away from that. And I really enjoy doing other sports now, including running, yoga, cycling is a really big one for me. Um, So I'm a great advocate of consistent training really throughout your life. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. Consistency is super, super key for sure. And so, you know, for anyone who maybe is looking to then get in contact with you, perhaps after listening to this, can you give some details as to how they can go about doing that? Yep, sure. Um, I'm on social media. So Instagram, I'm Anita Bean One. I'm on Twitter as Anita Bean. And my website is anitabean.co.uk. And there are loads of free articles and recipes available for people. Yeah. Okay, well, brilliant. And let's let's get started. So most of the listeners that are looking to optimize their performance. So let's start with fueling around training and racing, and specifically kind of looking at key timings and windows in terms of what perhaps macros should be and when what type of nutrition or nutrients are athletes kind of aiming for before and after sessions and you know what are those windows looking like yeah well actually a lot of people think that their pre-training window just extends to their pre training meal but in fact it starts from the end of your previous workout so your energy stores which is mainly your glycogen stores are actually built up from the time of your previous workouts that's why the refueling process is so important and that sort of post-exercise recovery window can extend not only for a few hours but actually 24 48 hours so it's really that 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 24 48 hours prior to your workout 
workout that you've really got to be focusing on. But of course, you know, your pre-exercise meal is important. So we can take that as a separate uh, preparation window, if you like. And um, you know, the, so the pre-exercise meal ideally should be about two to four hours beforehand, because what you're trying to ensure is that you are topping up the liver glycogen and that you are maintaining your blood glucose levels. So that's the purpose of your pre-exercise meal. Um, and the timing is really important, actually, because you don't want to be too full. Otherwise, you're just going to feel very unwell and pretty uncomfortable. Um, but on the other hand, you don't want to be feeling really empty and really hungry because obviously, you know, hunger can strike during your workout. But it also does mean that your blood sugar levels may be dipping a bit low. And also you'd be getting into that realm of fast training, which, of course, we can be talking about a little bit later on. And, you know, the, if you like the dangers, the risks of, of fast training for women. So that's the, the first period is that pre-exercise period and during this 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 pre-exercise meal especially the main focus is on easy to digest carbohydrates so you know we don't want um too much fat so the, the meal should be relatively low in fat relatively low in, in protein not devoid of protein because we want it to be as i said easy to digest and absorb so you want that that energy the carbohydrate energy to be available in a reasonably short space of time whilst you're exercising um, for some some athletes and runners and especially they are quite sensitive to the effects of fiber in that pre-exercise meal especially if you're doing high intensity and long duration training so if that's you then it would be an idea to to cut down a little bit on the fiber before your your you know long hard training sessions if that's not a problem for you then it really doesn't matter because a lot of it is very individual um so that's that that's the pre-training period um then the next period to consider is the if you like the intra-workout period so consuming energy during your training session that really only applies though for training sessions that are longer than 90 minutes so Okay. If you're exercising, certainly at a moderate to high intensity for longer than 90 minutes, you will need to consume some sort of fuel during that session because it's unlikely that you've got enough glycogen in your muscles at the start of that training session to sustain you for the duration of a 90 minute plus training session. So we're talking about taking aboard additional carbohydrates, it will be fast absorbing carbohydrates. The purpose of that is to sustain your blood glucose levels and, and to hopefully delay slightly the depletion of glycogen that can take place. So it's really, you know, as I said, the main purpose is to maintain your blood glucose levels and then allow you to sustain your, your intensity, your pace for a little bit longer before fatigue hits. And then the final um, stage is your post-exercise period. So this is the recovery phase. And this is really, really critical because it's during recovery when those adaptations to your training session take place this is when you get those gains it means that you're going to get stronger uh, you know the muscles will the, the damaged muscle fibers will rebuild themselves stronger so it really is um, the most critical part of the train of, of your training it's not just the, the, the physical training that you do it's it's the nutrition support that you provide afterwards and the purpose really is to replenish 
um, the fuel that you've used up. So you're restoring the glycogen reserves and getting ready for your next workout, obviously. And also you're providing those building blocks, you know, the, the, the protein, the amino acids that you need to rebuild those damaged muscle fibers. But at the same time, it needs to be high quality. So we're not just talking about getting in any old carbohydrate, any old protein. You need high quality foods that also supply your vitamins, your minerals, antioxidants are really important because these will really accelerate or, or promote that um, adaptation that is absolutely critical after your training session. Yeah, absolutely. And so maybe to give some specific examples of, you know, what a high quality carbohydrate or protein could look like, have you got any things that come to mind? Yeah, so um, perhaps the best post-exercise, depends, sorry, I'll start that bit again. Okay, so post-exercise, if you're not eating, planning to eat one of your main meals afterwards, um, a post-exercise snack would be a really good move. So something like milk, it can be either dairy or soya milk. Um, and, and you can make that into a smoothie or you can consume it on its own. So the advantage of milk, it supplies um, the fluid, it supplies protein, and it supplies carbohydrate and lots of vitamins and minerals as well. And it's absolutely ideal if you can combine it with other foods. So one of my personal um, post-exercise snacks would be um, Greek yogurt that's combined with berries and granola. So I'm adding in those antioxidants, those polyphenols, which you get in in the in berries. So it could be blueberries, raspberries, you know, whatever is seasonal, it can be fresh or frozen. Um, granola will add in, we're at with basically oats. So you're adding in extra fiber, extra nutrients, but you could have a smoothie. And that's something that's really easy for most people to quickly make up, especially if you've got either a Nutribullet or a, or a smoothie maker. Um, so it could be milk. You can add in some fruit such as strawberries, bananas. You can add in a little bit of peanut butter or, or just a small handful of nuts or seeds like kia seeds, something like that. And that makes it really nutritious, really tasty as well. So it's really quick to do and you know that you're going to get all the right nutrients to 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 nurture those those adaptations that take yeah. place after your training session um, and then if you you know if, if you are coinciding that with the start for meal time then you know examples of suitable post-exercise meals it could be say a chickpea and spinach curry with rice that's one of my personal favorites you're getting a protein you're getting uh, the carbohydrates and then you're getting a whole range of vitamins minerals and antioxidants um, you can extend that and adapt that I will often add butternut squash I'll add in obviously lots and lots of onions garlic peppers are a really good one so all those colorful vegetables are really going to to give your body the nutrients that it needs after training yeah absolutely and in terms of you know the smoothie situation there how much milk should should kind of go into that you know are we talking like 100 mil 500 mil yeah, so if you're making a smoothie, um, the ideal in terms of protein, so the ideal amount of protein is 20 grams, and you'd find that in approximately 500 mils of either dairy or soya pro or soya milk. Um, but that's quite a large volume for a smoothie. I mean, 500 mils, you know, you'd need a, a pretty large glass or a shaker. If you can manage that, that's absolutely fine. But actually what I tend to do personally, I'll have about half milk and half yogurt. So it creates 
a thicker smoothie. Um, the, the the volume doesn't seem the volume seems kind of more manageable. So if you add in Greek yogurt, that's actually got a higher protein content. So that actually cuts down the volume that you're having to consume. Um, so I think that that's that's you know it's a flexible way of making a smoothie. Yeah. Absolutely. And for anyone who doesn't have a smoothie blender and is looking for a lower cost alternative, you can just buy a manual blender, get a jug and kind of mash it all down in there as well. So definitely an option for everybody. And sort of going back a bit to when you were touching on glycogen stores and blood sugar levels, what's the kind of difference between energy coming from glycogen stores and blood sugar levels and and what's going on there? Okay, so when you're exercising, it's imperative that you maintain blood glucose levels really within a very narrow range at all times. And so the body's really clever at working that out. So it will break down glycogen in your muscles and also in your liver. And really the main the main job of liver glycogen is to maintain those blood sugar levels um, and you need the blood sugar available, uh, not only to fuel the muscles that you're working, but also to sustain brain function. The brain cannot use fats or any other fuel. So you're going to be breaking down glycogen from both your muscle stores and your liver stores during exercise Um, and obviously we've only got a finite amount of glycogen we can store a maximum of only about 500 grams so that's enough to supply about 2000 calories and that would last you for approximately 90 minutes or maybe two hours maximum of quite high intensity exercise so we're talking about say running at marathon pace so once you start to get towards that level and your glycogen stores begin to get depleted that's when fatigue sets in that's when you need to reduce your pace reduce the intensity of what you're doing and at that point it would be really useful to take on board additional carbohydrates to maintain those blood sugar levels and eke out your precious glycogen stores yeah and so in terms of you know timings how long have you got from finishing your session to then, you know, getting getting that energy back in before you kind of lose the ability to gain the adaptations? Okay, so post-exercise, the amount of time it takes to replenish your glycogen stores depends on a number of factors, actually. A lot of it will depend on the degree of depletion of your glycogen source. So if you've had a really tough session, um, maybe you've done an hour, two hours, um, and you've been working to really high intensity, then they will be severely depleted and therefore it will take longer to re- replenish those stores. So it would take approximately 24, 48 hours. Again, it will depend on the carbohydrate content of your diet. So if you're consuming perhaps very small amounts of carbohydrate it's going to take considerably longer it could take three four five days but if you're consuming adequate amounts of carbohydrate and this is really really crucial that you are consuming enough carbs um, ideally from healthy whole food sources so we're talking about you know the potatoes pasta porridge bananas noodles rice all those sorts of foods um, you can replenish those glycogen stores within 24 hours Um, 
I always say though to athletes that it's good really to go by how you feel. So, you know, if you're still fit, if your legs are still feeling rather shaky, rather weak, if they still feel rather jelly-like and you're turning up for your next training session, then you know that you haven't replenished your energy stores sufficiently um, and that will definitely affect the quality of training that you can do the chances are you won't be maximizing your performance you won't be getting the most out of that training session so be really careful to to listen to your body um, you know be very you know very much aware of how you're feeling before your training sessions and that will give you guidance as to whether you're um, consuming sufficient carbohydrate or not yeah, absolutely. And in terms of that kind of replenishing, is there any specific kind of numbers or amounts of carbs that you should be getting in? And should that be changing based on whether you're bigger or smaller? Or... Yeah, the amount of carbohydrate you, you need to consume will depend on the intensity of the exercise that you do, the duration of exercise that you do and how frequently. But just as a very rough guide, so there's two things to consider. That's your daily carbohydrate intake and also your per meal carbohydrate intake. So on a daily basis, most athletes who are training for, let's say, approximately one to two hours a day will need somewhere between five and seven grams of carbohydrate per kilogram body weight. So let's say you weigh 60 kilos, then you'll need between 300 and just over 400 grams of carbohydrate on a daily basis. And that's probably quite a bit more than a lot of athletes are used to consuming, especially female athletes. A lot of them are still rather afraid of consuming carbohydrates and they could well be you know, underfueling themselves. On a per meal basis, um, if it's rapid refueling that you're looking at, then the ideal amount of carbohydrate that you want to be consuming post-exercise is about one gram per kilogram body weight, certainly in that, that first two-hour period. So if you weigh 60 kilos, that means consuming approximately 60 grams of carbohydrate in that, that immediate two-hour period. And if you are training twice a day, yeah. then it's even more important to get that rapid replenishment of your glycogen stores. So that two-hour post-exercise window is extra important because we know that glycogen stores can be refilled a lot faster than usual, roughly, you know, two times faster than usual in that, that two-hour post-exercise period. So focus yeah. on that. But on the other hand, if you're not training twice a day and you've got more than eight hours rest between your training sessions, so let's say you're training daily or training every other day, then it's not so critical to get those carbs in in, in that um, two-hour post-exercise period it's more important to look at it on a 24-hour basis and as long as you spread the carbohydrate quite evenly over the 24 hours and you're consuming sufficient carbohydrate the five to seven grams per kilogram body weight that I've mentioned then you should be able to refill your energy stores sufficiently for your next workout yeah and in terms of you know keeping that consistency throughout the day is it beneficial to snack or is it better to kind of keep to maybe three or so solid meals quite honestly it doesn't really matter um, if you are training just once a day then the choice is really down to you what really fits in with your lifestyle your appetite and your own personal preference the main thing is to get sufficient carbohydrate in that 24 hour period 
Okay, well, that's cool. And, you know, earlier you mentioned there, you know, the maybe detriments of, you know, training fasted and stuff. So what are the implications for fueling fasted as a female runner? And, you know, how can this affect, you know, the body's performance? So the reasons why a lot of athletes are trying fasted training, um, main reason is often for weight control they see it as a way of encouraging the body to burn more fat during exercise now with that reasoning um that doesn't actually that that isn't true at all because the truth is that although you might be burning slightly more fat than carbohydrate during exercise when carbs are in short supply but actually it's what you eat over a longer period of time 24 hours and more, you know, for days and days that will really affect your overall energy balance. So studies that have looked at the energy expenditure and intake of athletes, if they've done faster training, they do tend to compensate for that by consuming more energy during the day. But also actually there was a study that was carried out at Bath University showed that when athletes skipped breakfast and then they trained, um, they actually had uh, less energy during the day. So uh, their training sessions were actually impaired later on in the day. They had less energy, if you like, to, to expend during exercise. So basically that means that you're going to get less of a training effect in your exercise session later on. So that's from that. So that's one aspect. Just from a weight management point of view, it um, it's unlikely to be an effective way of losing body weight or body fat. So the second reason why an athlete might want to try faster training would be to enhance the endurance training adaptations that you can get from exercise. What that means is that by encouraging the body to become a better fat burner and rely less on glycogen stores, that that can um, ultimately bring about faster improvements in your endurance. Now, in theory, that might work. And we have got studies to show that um, exercising in a state of low carbohydrate availability, so such as fast training, that can increase the number of mitochondria that the body makes, and it can increase the number of fat burning enzymes and ultimately lead to endurance training adaptations. But the big problem with that, and you know, this is a huge but, is that the body actually finds it harder to break down carbohydrate during high intensity exercise. So when you want to up the pace, so you're doing a sprint finish, maybe you're running up a hill, then the body is less able to break down muscle glycogen into exercise. If you like, you're sort of down-regulating the enzymes that break down carbohydrate into energy. So that's a huge disadvantage. The other huge disadvantages of doing regular fasted workouts is that it puts a huge amount of stress on the body. So you're raising your cortisol levels. So that's a stress hormone. And that can have really severe implications when it comes to female hormone production in the body. It disrupts thyroid hormones, it disrupts pituitary hormones and the reproductive hormones. The result is that you can end up with 
disrupted hormonal production. So we're talking about low levels of estrogen. And for females, that's a huge problem that can disrupt your menstrual cycle and certainly having irregular or a cessation of your menstrual cycles um, is a massive red flag. It's not a healthy state for the body to be in. And long-term, it can lead to, to bone fractures, it can lead to bone loss, and ultimately early onset of osteoporosis. So it's a really bad situation to be in. But another disadvantage of fasted training on a regular basis is that it can disrupt your immunity. It can depress your immunity so you become more susceptible to illnesses it makes you also more susceptible to injuries you know to sprains and so on so another thing about um, fasted training is that it can lead to a breakdown of proteins if you don't have the carbohydrate there to break down and you're doing high intensity training the body's more likely to break down its own muscle tissue breaking down protein to supply the energy it's not what protein is designed to do but it can ultimately lead to muscle loss and that's the last thing that any athlete wants so um you know, my opinion, I don't think that fasted training is really suitable for the vast majority of female athletes, partly because of the, the risk of hormonal disruption and the consequences on health, performance, immunity and injury risk. If an athlete is still determined to try and get those enhanced endurance training adaptations and they insist on fasted training, most coaches would only advise it for perhaps once or twice a week, but for the very easy sessions. So don't do it. You know, for example, I'm just giving you an example. If you are a runner who likes to run first thing in the morning before breakfast, because that feels more comfortable for you, it fits in with your lifestyle better, then ensure that those fasted training sessions are low intensity and no longer than about 60 to 90 minutes. So don't do your super long runs. Don't do those high intensity. You don't want to be doing intervals or hill repeats or anything like that. So just reserve it for the, the relatively lower intensity sessions. But my overall advice actually is to really do what we call, you know, fed training sessions. So try to avoid completely fasted sessions if you want to do good quality training. Yeah, absolutely. So really making sure you're properly fueled up for those sessions that you, you want to maximise and protecting health at, at all costs. And so in terms of, you know, we've, we've touched on mainly fueling around sessions and stuff. Is there any kind of mileage in things like carb loading before races? And should people be making drastic changes to their nutrition? So carbohydrate loading is a dietary technique that has been greatly researched, actually, but it can certainly work before endurance events that are longer than 90 minutes. So there's no point in carb loading for anything shorter than that. So we're really talking about marathons, possibly half marathons. You can do a sort of mild form of carbohydrate loading, but I would say really anything above a half marathon, it may be beneficial. So basically what it involves is a combination of a taper and an increase in your carbohydrate intake. Um, it used to be thought that you had to do it for seven days, that you did a carb depletion phase and then a, a carb loading phase. 
most athletes don't do that now. We now know that you only really need to increase your carbohydrate intake for about 24 to 48 hours before the event. So a gradual taper, which for a major event, say, such as the marathon, you'd be doing over two or three weeks, and then increasing your carbohydrate just for those last uh, couple of days before the event. So again, we're talking about prioritizing the potatoes, pasta, rice, porridge, bananas, those kind of foods. And then cutting at the same time, cutting down on high fat and high protein foods. So you're keeping calories about the same, but you're just changing the balance of those macronutrients for those last one to two days before your event. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, I think the majority of listeners for this podcast, uh, kind of racing at 5k, maybe 10k is the longest. What sort of changes, if any, are actually needed for the, you know, the shorter distances, you know, including 1500s and 800s? Well, if you're coming up for a relatively, sh- I say a shorter event, it's still a very, very difficult event. Really important to ensure that you are well hydrated at least the 24 hours beforehand. So make sure that you are drinking at regular intervals and replacing the fluids that you've lost during your training sessions. But there's no need to make drastic dietary changes in terms of changing your carbohydrate intake. I would really just say stay on top of your nutrition, make sure that you are fueling after your um, training sessions and pay attention to the quality of your diet as well. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, a balanced diet that's high in um, whole food, you know, whole food carbohydrates, you know, the the potatoes, the the brown rice, whole grain bread, that kind of thing. Um, You want to get in your fruit and vegetables and you want to get in healthy types of proteins. So really it's just keeping to a very healthy diet, making sure that you're eating at regular intervals during the day so there aren't any fast periods during that day um, so that you are arriving at your event with full glycogen stores and that you are properly hydrated beforehand. So that's really the best preparation that you can do for your body before that type of event. Yeah, so definitely, you know, important to stay on top of things overall and you know really consider the bigger picture as opposed to trying to cram your nutrition in at the last minute definitely yes okay and now to move a little bit more onto you know the overall health you mentioned you know being healthy overall and that's so complicated these days to even know so let's start off with you know what does a normal healthy diet look like So the easiest way when it comes to planning your diet is to think about a plate. And on that plate, you want to have four food groups. So these would comprise your carb-rich foods, your protein-rich foods, your fruit and vegetables, and also the healthy or unsaturated fats. So in terms of the proportions now, for um, either a, a rest day, or an easy training day, um, about a third of the plate should be carbs, about a third should be high protein, and a third would be your fruit and vegetables. The healthy fats would really be the kind of fat, either it's a dressing, it's a drizzle, or the oil that you've used during cooking. So that's just to give you a good visual representation of what each meal should look like. Now, that will change depending on the type of training that you're doing and the amount of training you're doing so in days when you're doing let's say moderate training so that would be approximately an hour or so of 
sort of fairly high intensity exercise. So it could be, you know, you're, you're running, it could be gym work. And on those days, you'd want to change the proportions a bit more. Basically, you need more energy, more carbohydrate to ensure that you've got enough fuel to um, sustain you for those exercise sessions. So the proportions will will change a little bit. Um, so you'll be getting more carbohydrate. And then for your um, hard training sessions, so let's say you're doing two hours or longer, maybe you're doing two exercise sessions, then at least half your plate would be carbohydrates. So it's more energy, more carbohydrate. So you're still having the same amount of protein and fruit and vegetables and unsaturated fats, but you're just changing the balance according to the type, the intensity and the duration of the training that you're doing that day. And that's so important for, for runners to bear in mind. And it's it's probably one of the biggest mistakes that I come across that you know, runners think that they're just eating the same, by eating the same food every day, the same amounts every day, that somehow their bodies will cope. But no, you've really got to tailor your diet according to the type of training that you're doing each day. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I think that's something that is an additional thing that as an athlete, you, you've got to bear in mind, you know, that your nutritional needs will vary quite significantly I guess in some cases between the days and another thing is you know a lot of athletes want to be their healthiest self self all the time and these days you know there's an increasing maybe trend towards the idea that there's no good foods or bad foods there's just foods but surely a diet of say you know only maybe donuts wouldn't exactly be advisable but you know where where's the line between you know maybe good a good a better diet and a worse diet kind of lie yeah, it's so important to maintain you know, a balanced attitude towards food. I mean, obviously, we know that there's no way you can outrun a bad diet and expect to perform well. Um, I mean, one or two genetically gifted <laughs> runners might still be able, and I have, I've met them in my time, actually, they can survive somehow on a diet of crisps and snacks and so on, and they, they appear to, to do quite well. But actually that is quite short term it's not sustainable um so but on the other hand we don't want to be pushing any such thing as the perfect diet we don't even know what a perfect diet is you have to bear in mind that everybody's different as well so you know, the perfect diet for me will be different to the perfect diet for you but also it's so important to maintain flexibility in the way that you regard food so you should never think of any food as being off limits you know we've got it and everybody's got a notion of what foods we think are, are bad in inverted commas so this you know might be chocolates it might be biscuits or cakes and of course you know if you had high amounts of those every day that would be a problem you know you wouldn't be getting the right nutrition into your daily diet but if you ban them all together, what happens is that sets up a negative psychological spiral. It means that your, your brain starts to desire them even more. So they become, it, they'd really become extra desirable foods. And when you do have ex access to these foods, 
then you're more likely to overeat them and tip that balance. And so um, it's really important to think of every food as being something that's allowable. It's just that, you know, you don't eat huge amounts of them every day. So try and be much more in tune with how your body is feeling. So, for example, um, I really like chocolate, but I will never ban that from my diet. So I will allow myself on a daily basis, I might sometimes I might have one square, sometimes it might be two square. It really just depends how I feel, what I fancy. It's almost like a little treat. And if you can think of foods as being um, allowable and something that you can treat, you know, your body deserves it. You don't have to earn it. You know, a lot of uh, female athletes that I work with, they feel that they have to sort of earn their treats, earn their chocolate or whatever it is by doing a good training session beforehand. No, you don't. You can have that chocolate whenever you want. It doesn't need to be a reward after doing something, you know, whether it's training, whether it's doing some other you know, amount of work or good deeds during the day. So it's really important to understand that no foods are off limits. Otherwise, that sets up a really negative psychological issue for runners. Yeah, absolutely. And to kind of continue a bit along that point, you know, while we're busting some of these myths, I guess you could say. So fats and sugars tend to have you know, a worse name. And, you know, even these days, there's some stuff on social media, even about, you know, fruit having too much sugar, and, you know, we should be concerned about this. What, where do you stand on the debate, you know, between these types of things? And what are the actual impacts of, you know, sugar and fat on the body? Yeah, I think one of the problems is that in the past, you know, we're talking about 10, 20 years ago, um, fats were really given a really bad rap. We were told to have low fat foods. They were heavily promoted. You know, every food manufacturer were coming up with low fat versions of everything. So fat was really demonized and therefore a lot of people really feared fats. However, we now know from more research that certain fats are actually very healthy and we should definitely be including unsaturated fats in our diet they're really good you know in terms of running really good for promoting recovery omega-3 fats really really good for promoting recovery for healthy cells um for for really promoting muscle repair after after strength training so healthy fats are a crucial part of the diet but then what happens is that because uh, we, we started to realise that fats were okay, then people thought, well, maybe the problem, especially when we're looking at obesity, the you know, the obesity issue around us, maybe the problem lies with carbohydrates. And so carbohydrates started to get demonised and sugars were, were really demonised. And so I think we're now in a situation where many people are fearing carbohydrates. Now, when we think of carbohydrates, everybody thinks of cakes and white bread and white rice and sugars, uh, sugary foods. Um, but in fact, carbohydrate, you know, they, if you like, there are two types of carbohydrates when it comes to nutrition quality. We've got, you know, the, the healthy ones that come with a whole package of other nutrients. So we're talking about bananas, we're talking about whole grain bread, we're talking about potatoes, sweet potatoes. And then we have got, if you like, the less healthy carbs like sweets and chocolates, cakes, biscuits and so on. Now, OK, they're, they're not bad as such as I've just previously explained but they should certainly form a more minor part in your diet so 
as far as I'm concerned, it's a balance. You do need to get the healthy fats in your diet. So we are talking about olive oil, rapeseed oil, oily fish, avocados, nuts, seeds, nut butter. But it's the uh, saturated fats that we need to be cutting down on. So that's mainly animal fats such as meat fat and butter. Um, when it comes to carbohydrates, of course, it's the high quality carbohydrates that we want to be emphasizing the carbs that come with their package of fiber and lots of other nutrients as well. And it's the sugars that we want to be minimizing, not banning, but minimizing in the diet. So it's really getting that balance, right? Yeah, absolutely. And are there any foods that maybe are particularly high in, say, saturated fats or sugars that perhaps people, you commonly see people eating too much of and they're not actually aware of maybe how much sugar or saturated fats in them? Oh, no, that's a good question. Because actually sugar and fat combined together in the same food is really, if you like, the most risky combination when it comes to overeating because what, what happens is actually manufacturers are very good at this and that is getting the right blend of um, you know, carbohydrates and fats. So we're talking about cakes, we're talking about mm. pizzas, absolute classic um, chips, again, is another one, chocolate. So they're high in, in fats and sugars and they're designed to make us eat more. Um, we find the very moorish, it's really difficult then to listen to your body's natural appetite cues. Um, so carbs on their own actually aren't really a problem and then fats on their own don't probably, but when you put the, the two together, particularly the sugary carbs and the saturated fats, that's when it becomes a lot more problematic. And it's, it's the foods that you've just mentioned. It's uh, it's often it's the shop-bought pizzas, it's um, burgers, it's chips, it's biscuits, it's cakes and chocolate. So they're the ones that it's harder to stop eating. But having said that, I'm not saying that we need to ban them completely. Yeah. And so in terms of, you know, I think I think it might be coined the bliss point or something as far as industry standards go, that happy, you know, medium of getting people to want to eat more with the fat and sugar ratio. But in terms of athletes, maybe who expend more energy than your average person or a lot of listeners commonly ask, how can I eat more without maybe realizing it? Perhaps these people are looking to maybe gain weight or should be eating more, but are struggling to do so. Would you say that some of these foods actually have a potentially beneficial place? Okay, that's a really good question because, of course, a lot of athletes actually struggle to keep their weight up. You know, they, they are not necessarily trying to gain weight, but they're trying to, to prevent themselves from losing weight. And I do see many in that position. So in the ideal world, um, yes, of course, they should be getting all their calories from, you know, the, the healthy carbohydrate foods, you know, the whole grain foods, the fruit, the vegetables, um, plant proteins and that sort of thing. But thing is these foods can be very filling and especially for those athletes who have got high energy expenditures and maybe their appetite doesn't quite match their energy expenditures so that is a relatively common thing so a really good way to well actually there's a number of tips I can give you actually to to help um ensure that your energy intake is keeping up with your energy expenditure so firstly is to 
include additional mini meals or snacks during the day. So, you know, you don't need to stick to the three meals a day. Try and increase the number of meals throughout the day so you're not overloading your stomach by having massive meals. Um, the second thing that you can do is to add really nutritious, high energy foods to your diets. So we're talking about nuts and seeds, adding extra nuts onto your, your porridge, on mixing them into yogurt. I mean, one trick that I personally use is to stir. I make my own granola, okay, from oats. I add in lots of pecans. Uh, I add lots of um, pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds. And so it's really energy dense, but incredibly tasty. So if I mix that with yogurt, then yeah. I've actually got quite a an energy dense but very nutritious snack so adding in nuts and seeds is, is a brilliant trick um, drizzling a little bit of olive oil over your vegetables um, I personally make a lot of roasted vegetables so you're adding in olive oil you're getting all the nutrition from your vegetables olive oil is actually incredibly good for you it's um, okay it's high in fat but it's a healthy fat it's also high in antioxidants and vitamin E and these are really valuable for runners um, so adding an olive oil or rapeseed oil is another really, really healthy oil. It's high in these monounsaturates. Um, and then perhaps making more smoothies. So you're kind of, if you like, breaking down the fiber more, which means that you can get more food into the same volume. So smoothies are a brilliant example. Um, soups are also pretty good I mean you can get an awful lot of nutrition soups but I'd say definitely add in some olive oil and some potatoes to make sure that it's a it's a high energy type of soup um, other examples that I can give is to perhaps add cheese so if you know provided you're not um, vegan plant-based like me then you can add grated cheese to all of your foods so it adds in you know a lot of energy but also there's a lot of good nutrition in there as well um, but yeah and then getting a bit more adventurous adding uh, different oils to your food sort of different types of oils I mean I'm thinking of when I make Asian type of food adding in sesame oil um, at the end of cooking is, is a way of providing a lot of flavour. It's a healthy type of fat. Um, I tend to add nuts to a lot of my cooking. If I'm making, say, a stir fry, I will always add a, a handful of cashews or yeah. almonds. <laughs> Even if I'm mm. adding, I made, you know, I'm making dal at least once a week and I will add in a handful of cashews during the cooking so they soften. So you're not increasing the volume of the food, but you're increasing the nutrition and the energy density of the food. So I think those 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 types of, of um, changes can really help athletes who are struggling to maintain their weight. Definitely know some really key points there. Okay, and so I guess a little bit along the lines of foods that maybe are less nutrition dense, in terms of say ultra processed foods, a lot of the sports supplements and protein bars, protein shakes, they've got a pretty hefty list of ingredients on. So, so you know, should people be mindful of, of these things or, you know, are they, are they a concern to athletes? Mm, you're right, actually, many sports products that, you, that you've just listed, you know, the gels, the bars, the, the powders and so on, they are classified as ultra-processed foods. Really quick and easy way of working out is a food ultra processed or not is whether it contains one or more ingredients that you wouldn't find in your own kitchen at home if you were trying to make that food um, so yeah they are ultra processed not necessarily a problem if you just have them 
you know, if you can find them for specific occasions. So, for example, if you are doing a long run and you want a convenient type of fuel for that run, then having a gel is not going to be detrimental to your health. And it's actually providing, you know, the energy that your body needs during that run. Of course, there are whole food options, but some runners like the convenience of having, say, a gel or an energy drink. The problem is when they become more predominant in your diet. So we don't have too much in our diet, but just be really mindful. So if you are having, say, gels or energy drinks on a daily basis, then ensure that you're balancing them with highly nutritious foods the rest of the time. So really emphasize your vegetables, your fruit, your nuts, your whole grains and pulses, um, you know, the beans, lentils and uh, chickpeas, those kind of things. So make, you know, really pay attention to the rest of your diet. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting to know. And something which I want to touch on, which has been really popular on the Instagram, has been things to do with body image. And so in terms of the relationship between nutrition and how that can affect how your body, you know, presents muscle and stuff like that, how much of a role does nutrition play? The way our body looks is greatly influenced by genetics and hormonal levels and certainly the way that we store fat so whether you you tend to store fat mostly around the midsection around the hips that is largely genetically determined what you can affect through training and diet though is the is the total amount of body fat that you're storing but of course you've got to be realistic as to what is right for your natural body type your natural body shape um you know we can't leave through a catalog or or an app and sort of choose the the body shape or how we'd like to look or you know the muscles that we'd like to be showing in different areas of our body and that's completely unrealistic so try I mean I, I know it's very 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 easy to say but we do have to be more accepting of our natural body type um if you like we have to kind of embrace who we are and whom we can be and not set yourself unrealistic goals and expectations and that's a mistake that I do see both young and old athletes I mean it's not just just young athletes who are unhappy with they the way they look I mean you know there are guys at um, you know, the, the clubs where I've been working actually in their 40s, 50s, they still want to get super lean and shredded. It's an unrealistic expectation for their body type and for their lifestyle. Um, and lot, a lot of the time what happens is that in their, their quest to get super lean, that they are restricting their food intake um, drastically and to an extent where they're not getting good nutrition. And the first thing that they will notice is that they're tired, struggling to recover from from training and more prone to ill to getting colds, flus, all sorts of illnesses. If you're not fueling your body properly, you may as well not train. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, a couple of things to kind of finish up with now. In terms of a lot of people are keen to, you know, retain muscle as an ex-bodybuilding champion yourself, or maybe not X, actually, I guess the titles maintain time. Um, what advice would you give to someone looking to, you know, make sure that they're building muscle and retaining muscle? Okay, so when it comes to building 
muscle. Okay, two things are important. That is training and that supplies a stimulus for muscle growth. And the second is nutrition and protein in particular. Uh, so a lot of people actually think that it's piling in the protein that's most important. It's not actually, training is actually number one important. So whilst you need both, but actually training is by far and away the most important thing. And then second is nutrition and the protein intake. So yes, you need more protein than a couch potato, you know, somebody who doesn't do any training um, to the tune of about 1.2 to 2 grams per kilogram body weight. The optimal amount seems to be around 1.6 grams per kilogram body weight. That's what the research is telling us. Um, but I kind of like to steer away actually from grams too much because I don't like people to get too obsessed. So basically, it just means including some form of protein, a decent portion of protein with each of your meals and ideally a little bit in your snacks as well. So um, it can be animal or plant-based protein. I personally favour plant-based and actually I became British bodybuilding champion on a vegetarian diet, um, which goes to show that you don't need to consume uh, meat or fish in order to develop muscles and strength. Um, so yeah, getting in enough protein in your meals is important, but you know what? I never had huge amounts of protein. I would always have very balanced meals. I wouldn't be consuming protein powders or anything like that. Um, you can you can build muscle, you can sustain strength. And even now I'm, I'm not bodybuilding, but I do strength training. I don't consume any protein supplements at all. And I, I get all my protein from whole foods and it's, uh, it's a plant-based diet. So a lot of pulses, um, beans, chickpeas, lentils are a really major part of my diet. Um, and I get a good variety as well. I include nuts, seeds, I have whole grains. I have some soya products in the way of soy yogurt and soy milk as well in my diet. Um, and yeah, you don't need to get those supplements. You know, I think that just really goes to show how you know, powerful just having a normal diet can be. And for those people who are, you know, on a veggie or plant-based diet, which I think, you know, quite a lot of athletes are, what, you know, number one piece of advice would you, or could you give for someone, you know, following a, a diet such as that? Okay. The first and foremost is to ensure that you're getting a good variety of proteins in your diet. Um, so I've probably mentioned this already, but there are kind of four main food groups that you've got to include throughout your daily diet. So that's the pulses, the beans, lentils, chickpeas and peas. Um, the second are soya products. So these are really good sources of all of the essential amino acids. So we're talking about soy milk and soy yogurt, um, tofu, tempeh, edamame beans. Those are, so those are really good. Um, the third group are the whole grains. So they actually do supply some of the amino acids in in pretty high amounts not you know some of them will be quite low but you know they still contain all of the amino acids and then the fourth group are your nuts and seeds so provided you're getting a good mixture of all of these foods throughout the day you're most likely meeting your protein needs second thing that you need to consider are your omega-3s which are important for recovery after exercise now these are a little bit more tricky to get your omega-3s on on a 
purely plant-based diet. You can do it from chia seeds, walnuts. So there are a few foods that you, you can include. In, uh, flax seeds is another one. Um, you can add these types of foods to, to porridge and to smoothies. But to be on the safe side, and this is what I do personally, I do include um, a vegan omega-3 supplement in my diet. Um, they're a little bit expensive, but I'd say they're not essential. Okay, it's just an insurance. Um, the next thing you must make sure is that you're getting some kind of B12. So you cannot get them from, you can't get B12 naturally from a plant food. However, we can get B12 from fortified foods. Um, in fact, most plant milks have got B12 added to them and, and plant yogurt, so soya yogurt, for example, um, Marmite. So there are a few ways of getting a B12. But again, to be on the safe side, you can take a supplement, perhaps as a multivit. Um, Finally, I would say iron is an important consideration. So don't automatically take an iron supplement unless you've been diagnosed as being deficiency deficient. But you can get iron from a variety of plant-based foods, your whole grains, um, pulses, you know, the beans and lentils are good sources of iron, green vegetables as well. So as long as you're getting a mixture of, of iron in your diet, combining them with a source of vitamin C, then you should be able to, to you know, get and absorb sufficient iron. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. So some key, key aspects to pick up on there, make sure you're getting all those things in if you are on a, on a diet such as that. And okay, so in terms of, you know, for female athletes, mainly, you know, late, late teenage years, early 20s, which one of your recipe books do you think would be most beneficial? Okay. So if you're a runner, definitely go to the runner's cookbook. So in that book, there are a lot, there are over 100 easy to follow recipes. There are lots of plant-based recipes and some non-plant-based main meal sections as well. But there's also a lot of advice in the book for runners, what to eat before, during and after exercise, which supplements you may or may not want to consider, and then how to fuel for different types of races. Um, but if you are more interested in plant-based eating, then I've got the vegetarian athletes cookbook and also the vegan athletes cookbook with lots and lots of inspiring and exciting ideas which will really show you how you can incorporate whole foods into your diet and ensure that you're getting all the nutrients that you need for your running and, and for promoting recovery as well. Oh yeah excellent well thank you very much and I, I can say that I've got the Vegetarian Athletes cookbook and it, it really is really great. So no, thank you so much for coming on. You're more than welcome. It's been lovely to meet you. <laughs> yeah, likewise. Absolute pleasure. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, be sure to rate, subscribe and leave a review. This really helps to get the content out there. I'm new to this, guys, and I want to make this podcast the best possible for you. So go follow Fitter faster happier on instagram that's fitter faster happier to leave your questions comments and feedback and for updates and guest requests all the best for the week ahead guys run happy live happy be happy